This is Thinking Out Loud, a podcast about current events and Christian hope. Have a hard time putting those two things together? You're not alone. Our timelines may be filled with bad news, but Christ remains on his throne. So what does it mean to live in the light of that truth rather than the shadow of our never-ending dumpster fires? That's the question animating this conversation between Nathan Rittenhouse and Cameron McAllister, two Christian apologists who believe that true hope and realism go hand in hand. So let's think out loud together about current events and Christian hope. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. Well, Cameron, we uh, have a have a snow day here. So I last I checked, I have two kids playing Uno, one floating a small rubber duck in the sink, and another one running around outside in a snow coat, shorts, and rubber boots. But it's up to like 26 degrees, so I'm sure he'll be fine. So good old snow day chaos happening here, and uh, excited to start a new new year, uh, as I think a lot of people are. The idea that I wanted to get you to run with uh, this morning or today or whenever you're listening to this is uh, really um, is brought about by a book that I received as a Christmas gift. And when my sister-in-law gave me this book, she said, you could probably do a podcast on this. So there you go. Prophecy fulfilled. But the book is titled Daily Rituals, How Artists Work. It's by uh, Mason Curry. And it's a look at 161, everything from writers to composers to painters, uh, filmmakers, sculptors, people who we would put in the artistic realm. And it's uh, an analysis of their daily habits and their rituals and their routines and the things that they tried to do in order to foster some sort of, well, it's a combination of things, find their kind of creative sweet spot, also to rid distraction from their lives and I might just say it lives up to all of the chaos that you would assume some of our best known artists to live with. Lots of drugs, lots of not sleeping, um, all sorts of crazy, quirky superstitions and rituals and uh, odd things. But I thought it might be fun to talk about that uh, as we jump into a new year where people are probably making and breaking resolutions um, as we speak here in the first week of January. And so... I uh, I wanted to discuss that with you and get you to weigh in what you think this drive for ritual, where that comes from, and why we think routine and ritual frees us up to be creative. I don't know. Have any thoughts right off the cuff? Well, I mean, I'm just I'm kind of curious, Nathan. Do you have any pre-speaking rituals slash superstitions that you that you go through whenever you're? Because uh, I know there's a number of us who. Yeah, I mean, anything that you do, I mean, do do you like, you know, some energy bar or some special kind of drink? Do you jog around the building five times? I don't know. <laughs> Not seven, though, because that could be disastrous. Um, oh, yes. No, yeah. So I, I associated, so running cross country in college, um, athletes are very, very much in this category. So I had friends that would try to fall asleep in certain like running positions sideways in their beds at night, people who had to be wearing the correct socks. Um, a lot of, a lot of that going on. I don't think speaking wise, no, usually what happens to me speaking wise is I work hard on a talk and I think, okay. And then I get to the venue and I look at my scribbled notes and think, this makes no sense. Dear God, please help me. And then that's the right <laughs> amount of despair. Uh, as I'm walking up to the podium of like, I don't even know what this is about. 
and somehow it usually works out. So yeah, my, my only routine is, is to totally feel like this doesn't make any sense right before, right before we get going. So I don't know. What about you? Do you have some mm. sort of, I don't have any eating, uh, no. Yeah. Nobody's ever asked me that. The answer is no. Yeah. All right. Well, aside from running around the building five times, you know, obviously the, I think this developed into a ritual for me. I don't know if ritual is the right word for it. Maybe technique. I don't know. Methodology. I finally recognized that looking, pouring over notes or reading more when I was right up on the brink of the event became a hampering kind of device. Mm -hmm. well, it was, it hampered me. It stopped me and inhibited me. And so as I get closer to the speaking event, I actually try to stay out of private spaces where I would go over my notes or read a little bit more carefully or try to fit in one more idea. And I just instead try to do everything I can to pull myself outward and talk to other people, walk around, and that then frees me up and relaxes me and sets me at ease so that when I'm actually speaking, I have that. I, I mean, there's just a flow. Whereas otherwise, I, I get too tangled in the weeds, so to speak. So I don't know if that's so boring. That's not really a ritual. That's just more understanding how my mind works. And But it took a long, well, <laughs> it took a long time for me to reach that conclusion. So, but I think that is ultimately what people are doing when they're seeking resolutions or routines is you're trying to optimize your functionality in some way. So you're finding what are the rhythms, the habits, the diets, the whatever that stimulate us to produce our best uh, content in the best way. So I don't know, there's a, a bit of a soft optimization that's, that's going on there as we kind of find yeah, what works well for us. Um, but is that, so Sunday... Uh, the, the sermon was somebody was preaching saying that, you know, basically our resolutions all revolve around longevity, prosperity, or peace. Those are sort of the three core, you know, whether I'm going to exercise and live longer, or I'm going to make more money, or I'm going to improve my relationships. So that longevity, prosperity, and peace, that's sort of a, a desire that lots of people have for an annual rhythm. But there, so there's kind of an annual rhythm, but then there's the daily routine of, you know, people who get up at a fixed time every day or read the same, you know, newspaper every day or eat the same breakfast every day. What's, what's been your, so you kind of talked about speaking, but what about, what are, what are some of the weirdest or what are some resolutions that you've made? Cause I want to talk about kind of self-control and willpower and resolving to do something as we get into this. But before we get to the serious part of that, give us real quick, kind of your, uh, I mean, do you have a resolution this year? Oh, man, I always have resolutions. Or so, you can even tell us how you feel about resolutions. Oh, man, I'm very enthusiastic about resolutions. I like them. So it's funny because I have to I have to clarify that because a lot of people sort of see me as a grumpy old man <laughs> and sort of cynical sometimes. And I, I suppose I can be, but not when it comes to resolutions. I'm on board for the New Year's resolutions bandwagon. I like it. So yes, I have I have new resolutions every year. That's about the that's about the most excitement you're ever going to hear from Cameron. That's right, right yeah. there. That was that was a high degree of comparative enthusiasm. Yeah, I mean genuine smiles here. My eyebrows are raised, but no, I'm I'm actually I do. So I'm I think there is I put a lot of stock in in, in resolutions because I think it's it's helpful to evaluate one's life, 
make improvements where they are needed. And so this year, a lot of my resolutions this year revolve around, you could group them under the heading of slowing down so that I can do less better. And I think in, in the last... The last two years, I would say, were a time of real information overload and not in the usual sense in which we use that phrase. Obviously, we're all modern people. We have access to reams and reams of information, but that's not what I'm talking about. There were, I think there have been for a lot of us, a number of different crises that we're having to work through and manage. This is the COVID era. Lots of loss, lots of breakdown. But of course, we also came out of a, a we, we, I mean, we transitioned, we resigned from a ministry. There was, there were just so many levels of stress and reams of ream and reams of, you know, information to be sorted through that just affected our personal lives on a, in a, on a very practical level. And so this year I wanted to implement some habits and strategies that would work to slow me down and give me more reflective space. And so practically speaking, I mean, this will look different for, for different people, but I want to, one of them is to carry my phone around with me way less. And instead of carrying my phone, to carry my Kindle in my pocket. After all, it does fit into my pocket. And so if I have a sudden you know, urge to stare at a screen, why not stare at one of the books I'm reading in, on the Kindle? So that's that's one not care and so just and also have places where I don't want every single space colonized by technology. So not every moment of silence needs to be filled with a podcast. I know that's a self-nullifying statement potentially. Yes. <laughs> but don't turn us off. But you know, and not every moment of silence needs to be filled with either a screen or music or another podcast, etc. So I think those are, I mean, I don't have too many resolutions this year, but those would be, they're all geared to, to, to slow me down. What about you, my friend? Yeah, I, I have a complicated history with resolutions uh, because I like them perhaps a bit too much. Um, and dare I say, I've been very good at them. So I, but the reason is, is because I've always had the resolution as a test to myself, not, not that it was going to help me do something better, but that it was going to be a test to me to see if I could stick with it. Um, and so I had, I mean, probably the, the wilder ones. Like I remember in high school, I ate my cereal, my breakfast out of a blue, a plastic blue bowl every single morning, um, for a year. And so that, I mean, that's, wasn't definitely the only option I had. So I had to hunt around for that, wash it, take one with me when we traveled on vacation. Um, just like weird little things that I would put in my life to um, challenge myself to see if I could fulfill a task that was just kind of quirky for a year. Started brushing my teeth with my left hand about 17 years ago on a similar thing. Um, so I don't know. It was, it's, it's, it's odd because the, the resolutions weren't um, like nothing about that changed me or my character. Well, I don't know. Is, is, I don't know. I'm, I'm a messed up person on that. We need a psychological hour with Nathan to figure that one out. So anyway, <laughs> that being said, I don't make resolutions um, because then I'm really bound to them. But I do, I did kind of pencil out a sort of year plan of areas of focus of kind of zooming back and saying, what are the important things in my life? What are the skills that I have? And where are these kind of strategic areas where I could use um, 
what I have and where I'm coming from and where I am uh, in the best way. So uh, that's kind of a fun thing to do from a Christian perspective is to sort of take those moments to zoom out and think about what your real priorities are and then where you want to invest your time. Um, yeah, so for me, it's more about focusing time than than anything else. So that's, yeah, that's was the last week in a snapshot there. Well, and I think it's worth pointing out here, and here's nerd alert, here it comes, but we've we've drawn attention to the work of Drew Johnson before, Drew being D-R-U, who he teaches at King's College in New York, and he has, he's got two books on this subject, by the way, one that is popular level and one that's more academic. The academic one is called Knowledge by Ritual, and then the popular level book, which also I would recommend, it's great, is called Human Rights, R-I-T-E-S. You see what he did there? Clever. Mm. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but part of Drew Johnson's work has focused on how thoroughly ritual ritualized we are as creatures. So the question is not whether you've got rituals. And we have to disentangle ritual, once again, from kind of some of its sacred connotations. It, inclu- it would include that as well. But rituals also have to do with you know, your nighttime routine, how you brush your teeth, when you brush your teeth, those sorts of things. So it has to do with some of the very humdrum aspects of your existence. So you've got, you inevitably, you have routine, not just routines, you have rituals. The question is whether you're intentional about your rituals. This is why I, this is, so that's one reason why I think it's important to think through some of the rituals that structure our lives, because if we're not, then our lives are being structured usually by the surrounding culture and the zeitgeist. And some of those habits are helpful and some of them not so much. So I think that's one salient point I want to bring in here as well is the inevitability Mm -hmm. of rituals and the fact that you want to take ownership of the rituals and you want them to be the right rituals. So there that is. Yeah. Well, so what about, um, is there, let's just note here that there, we're talking about there are individual rituals and then there are communal rituals also. So our rituals happen at multiple levels. So there might be the morning routine that I have for myself personally. Then there's the bedtime routine that my wife and I have with our children. And then there's the Sunday morning ritual that, you know, we have as a broader community. So these are, these are all integrated and, and embedded uh, but there is a, a sense of regularity. Um, the, I think the people a- who were most reflective about it in the in the book that I was reading s- thought that ritual gave them peace. That was really the thing that mm. they were, that it, it ordered their lives in such a way that their minds could focus creatively because kind of the details of life were sorted out through ritual. So they were big on trying to automate the necessary functions of life in order to focus their creative energy on um, new things. Yeah. And I, I like that, actually, because, I mean, the the example that always comes to mind on that note is the possibly apocryphal story of Einstein or brilliant scientists having all the same outfit, you know, five times or seven times mm. over in their closets so that they don't have to expend any unnecessary mental energy on something as you know, mundane is what I'm going to wear today. But I think, well, I mean, rituals, of course, provide you structure and stability. 
Right. So they'll they'll give you that sense of peace. I mean, one practical example that comes to mind for me. This is, so here's one of I'm getting highly personal, which I don't always like to do. Anyway, one of one of my specific <laughs> resolutions this year is just throughout the day as it comes to mind to say the Lord's prayer. And oh gosh, getting a little crunchy here. Make the sign of the cross. But what's oh, what man. I like about both of those two Oh, I know, I know. But Across I mean, the river now, you, Cameron. Well, actually, you know, you know who's you know who recommended doing that routinely throughout the day? Martin Luther. Here I mm. stand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, the but the, these these kinds of but the point is this is not a this it's not a spontaneous prayer. It's not something that I have to come up with on the moment. It is it is the prayer of that our Lord taught us. And by the way, I'm not that doesn't of course don't hear me saying you shouldn't pray spontaneously, you shouldn't pray specifically, of course not. But here is one prayer that is tailor-made by your Lord for you, and you can rely on it, and it is an inexhaustibly rich prayer. You, you, you really, you can't reach the bottom of it. So here you have this within your grasp at any time. And that's one example of a beautiful ritual that helps structure your life and helps lend comfort and stability to your day. Yeah. When you were talking about the inexhaustibility of the Lord's prayer, I remember my grandfather preaching on the Lord's prayer one time and never got past the word hour. And so the entire sermon was on the word hour at the, as, at the beginning of a prayer. Yeah. So, oh, so there, there you go. That's a, there's a lot in that. So yeah, so it's Simon um, Bay used to get lost in the Lord's Prayer apparently and would and would talk to people for hours about it and they would just look at her perplexed, but she just she just felt that this was there was just no exhausting this incredible prayer. So Okay, yeah. so there's there might be something else going on there. Um in that it's connecting you with a ritual of humanity that transcends time in some ways. So it's not the it's not the same type of ritual as going to the gym with your friend, um, which could be a very good ritual, but it's bigger than that. Um, and maybe that, you know, is a large part of what religion is, is it's connecting us across time and space with with many other people. Um, so why? I mean, we've talked a lot about the the and I don't think we've we've just barely scratched the surface of the positive things of routine and ritual, but why is it so difficult? So why I mean, the idea of keeping a resolution is almost a joke. Um so why is it so difficult? Hit this from the other angle. Yeah. I think part of it has to do with the fact that we just as a cultural value these days, and I, I do think this is a little bit more concentrated today than it was in years past, we value keeping our options open and we want, I mean, we, we just value flexibility, keeping our options open. We don't like to be tied down. And I think what starts as really exciting and fun as an idea quickly begins to feel restrictive and suffocating for a lot of us. And then we just, it's not like we say, oh, you know what, I'm done. I'm not, I'm done. I'm done with resolutions. It's more, it's worse than that. It's more like we drift kind of out of it. And we just, and we slow, you know, we slowly drift away from it and we feel horrible about ourselves, but we're, but we just think, yeah, 
I'm not going back to the gym. I'm I'm just I'm not gonna I'm gonna go ahead and eat this anyway, just because it's here in the moment and I want it. And we just sort of and and we think and after all, I mean, what's what's to stop me? And then and then of course then there's a long laundry list of rationalizations that we come up with. Oh well, you know, I've just I've been, this is just a very stressful time in my life, and you know I don't want to be legalistic about this. I've used that one on myself, by the way. Oh well, you know I don't want to be a legalist <laughs> yeah. about it. So I I think there there's that. I mean we. But sometimes you need to. So, yeah. so absolutely. Sometimes you you yes you darn well need to be a legalist with yourself about it. Sometimes. So what I'm describing, I think, is a consumer mindset. So I think that's one very major factor here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about the idea that we are, I think, in in many ways now technologically programmed to delight in new things, and a ritual and a routine and a resolution might be a lot of things, but one thing it's not is new. So if it's something that you've done every day for 60 days, it doesn't have that kind of uh, edgy yeah. vitality to it that it once did. So you're not getting the same dopamine rush of feeling great about yourself for having done it because, well, now it's become old hat. Yeah, the the absolute craving for novelty is a very striking feature of modern life and I don't think any of us are immune. Absolutely. Yeah. So the consumer mindset, the craving for constant novelty and excitement. But again, that's just because, and we're also, because we have access to so much stimulation all the time, we become dependent on that stimulation, which is one of the reasons why I've tried to distance myself from from, from the constant stimulation and slow down. Because I need to, I need that, I need reflective space. There's so much noise. And of course, noise is not just audible, right? There's 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 noise in your visual field. There's noise in that you taste noise too. I mean, we, we we fill our lives with so much food and so much I mean there's just there are so many distractions and so much excess available to us. But if I can if I can backtrack just a second, Nathan, I, I'm not sure we can do full justice to this here because I'm sensing there are some subtleties involved, but we should try to tease out the distinction between a routine and a ritual because I don't know that those are necessarily the same thing. Okay. I think, yeah, I think they're very similar, but they're not necessarily the same thing. And then I think it might be helpful to try to identify some of the major kind of cultural rituals surrounding us and then think think through some of those just for for a little bit but yeah routine versus ritual i can go first here just with some preliminary thoughts while you gather yours uh, and yeah, great then make me feel silly but i mean a r- routine seems to be more along the lines with the way one organizes one's schedule has more to do I would think I think I think of a routine more closely tied to a calendar and schedules and I think of a ritual being it's certainly a time-bound activity but it's invested with a bit more significance so if you have a morning routine where you have to feed the dog and you have to get the kids out of the door for school at a certain hour. That seems to me that's that's more of a routine. It's necessary. But to draw so to draw from a profane example from my past, but smoking. So I used to be a smoker. 
And this is this is helpful mm-hmm. because Drew Johnson used to be a smoker as well, and this is the example he uses. Smoking is a ritual. This is part of what and and researchers have 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 done a lot of work on this. This is the ritual aspects of smoking that those that are part of what make it so addictive, because there's a whole process that you go through every time. There's a you have to get away to do it. It's a it's a it's a little pause in your day. It's a break. If you ever worked a blue collar job or in, in, in any of these kind of service industries, you were probably resentful of the smokers because they just get so many breaks. <laughs> like if every 15 minutes or so, well, you know, got to go out for a smoke. I remember when I worked at a video store, these the, some of the people were there, I thought you got to be kidding me. I should take up smoking just so I can get some more breaks here. But there was a, but there's a significance to it. You bond with other people who are part of this smoking club, you know. In people, you know, dare I say it, in certain Christian circles, do this. For cigarettes, maybe not be as socially acceptable, but pipes and cigars are. But do you see what I'm getting at here? Mm-hmm. One of them has one of them is a sort of a rote activity that you have to go through because it's more dictated by your your calendar. The other is something that you voluntarily take up and it's imbued with a certain kind of significance to it whether it's a social or recreational kind of significance or something that you that that gives you a sense of kind of meaning in your day and structures it meaningfully so that's my first stab at it not very elegant on to you nathan yeah no that's um uh, well, oddly enough, the, the place my mind was going on that is one of the difficulties in separating that out is that our routines are not, in t- like, we're not actually in charge of our routines. So, especially if you have children, right? I mean, children love order and excel in creating chaos. So, you know, when has the parent of a young child said, well, I always sleep from <laughs> here to here. Uh, who knows what's going to happen in those hours, right? So, um by tying routine to schedule, it's something that can necessarily be interrupted, I think. Um, and you can get back on track. Um, so I'm wondering, so I can see how distraction works as it, as it plays into routine. Um, okay. Well, so if we're going with, so what distracts us from a ritual? Well, what, I along guess it could the lines be the same of, stuff. Well, along the lines of the kid idea, Nathan, what about this? So putting your kids to putting your kids to bed or giving them a bath, getting them ready for school, that's a routine. Reading a story to them mm-hmm. at night, that's a ritual. So, yeah, so each day as the bus is pulling up, I pray out loud for my children that they would find ways to be helpful in the world. Um that seems to me to be both, right? It's an embedded it's a routine that happens every morning at 7:23. But we're doing the routine in a way that connects them and well commits all of us to a bigger way of looking at the world. Is that am I is is that example following yes. your correct distinction there? I think so. I think so. And yes, because it's I mean it's it's an absolutely meaning giving, deeply embedded, structuring, stabilizing event that is drawn directly from your whole way of life, namely Christianity. I mean, 
we could point to some of the the textbook rituals that structure our lives right now as Christians. Every Sunday, I will shuffle forward from my pew and I will take communion. That's a that's a diet in the wool, you know, bona fide ritual right there. So there's good there's old that, Presbyterian it, Cameron. Good old Presbyterian Cameron. But it seems to me that yes, no. So I th- I think I think your example there honors the distinction. So I think we and what but what's interesting about yours? So there is there's there's communion, which is an established ritual of the church, and then there is what you do with your kids there before they go off to school, which is also a ritual. It's not an established ritual of the church, but it nevertheless, that's a, that's a idiosyncratic ritual mm, peculiar yeah. to the written house home. And never, but I, yes, I think it obtains my middle name. <laughs> so, right. Is there, so is, so is, so is, so is a ritual, a, a type of routine in which yes. you're doing something beyond the necessary that gives it a significance beyond what most people assume when they're doing that thing. I think it includes, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, that's a complicated, well, it could, I mean, it's, it's a routine in the sense that it's an activity undertaken in, you know, in, in our day-to-day lives. But I think part of the distinguishing factor, I would say would be, yeah, the, the significance and perhaps the meaning giving power of a ritual versus so there's something rote about following a schedule but there's something inherently meaning giving about a ritual it's it's filled with a kind it's charged with a significance for good or for ill and i'm trying so here's I think this is a good juncture. We've we've identified, you know, communion. We could point to to baptism as well. But let's along these lines, let's maybe think about some of the the rituals of our culture. It's harder to do this than than you would think if you just off the cuff because a lot of them we won't recognize necessarily as uh, always as rituals, but the 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 events that we go through that are charged with with kind of meaning and significance that are structuring but that are that may include may they may include some of the dynamics of routine but they are but they are more than that they can they can include the dynamic of a routine but they are more than a routine i guess maybe that's where i'll settle for right now that's <laughs> the non okay yeah so let's start in on so are you saying that national holidays are rituals? Yes, I think so. And certainly, so it always takes me off guard because I was born overseas. So when I went to a little while ago, I get when we were at a local baseball game for our local baseball team here in town, the the national when when the singing of the national anthem takes place. And everybody stands up and everybody, mm-hmm. you know, has the, the proper posture. Now that is a, that's an absolutely significant, charged, meaning giving ritual right there. And it always, it always takes me off guard just because I think just because I'm still 
I'm a European transplant. I'm a third culture kid. But so that as well, fireworks on the 4th of July, events like that. Sauerkraut on New Year's. Sauerkraut on New no, Year's. No, no. Yeah. That's not national. Not so much. <laughs> um, election day. Um, yeah. And then there are some of the- Well, so- Yeah. Well, before before we run away there, just and and I don't want to get us on a rabbit trail here, but I think you know you pointed out the national anthem as a cultural ritual, but that in the last year or two has become a really heated point of conversation when people don't assume the proper posture yep. as you've referred to it mm-hmm. for the national anthem. Yep. And so some of the the intense feeling that comes out of that, I think, whenever you see intense moral outrage at a behavior it's a good indicator that a ritual is being violated or per- is being perceived to be violated. Yes. Cause people don't, people don't tweet about a mixed up routine, but people feel deeply about mixed up rituals. There you go. Yeah. Because a mixed so up. If you r- shuffled forward to get communion and smacked the pastor, mm-hmm. it would, um, yep. You're violating the I, I, sacred. I'm just making something up there, but I'm, I'm just... Yep. You're violating the sacred, yeah. You're violating the sacred. So that's yeah. one way we could kind of work this backwards to see where our cultural rituals are, is to see where... Um, what do we yeah, believe... Where, where the sparks really fly when it's... Yeah, I mean, or yeah, what, what are those activities that we undertake as a culture that we tacitly believe are of sacred significance? So when they're violated... And then, and then there's there's huge outrage. Then you're you're you, then you're recognizing, okay, so this is something that is that's charged with real sacred value for many many people. And so, yeah, I think I think we're 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 in a position now, at the very least, in this in this discussion, to appreciate how thoroughly we we structure our lives around sacred practices and that because as nathan so often says we are meaning seeking creatures we engage in activities that we we view to be we, we believe are meaningful and that help help us gain significance in our lives and the question is basically where are we getting our marching orders where do where, what's the blueprint for our set of rituals and if we're christians we have we have really good reason to pause and reflect carefully on the rituals that we're engaging in because they're playing a they're playing a shaping role in our lives and so it's worth pausing just to take a very obvious example here to consider the significance of saying a phrase like "I pledge allegiance to the flag," that's a, that's that's an easy that's an easy example to, to to point to. It might seem like a cheap shot, but think about something like that. That's a very charged, loaded phrase. Do you think one of and our and also then it yeah <laughs> yeah so th- yeah there's there's a lot so that's a that's a good example of a culturally repeated thing. But there's a catechism that goes along with that, right? So often rituals have that. That's something that you learn in school right off the bat as you go along. As you're saying, it just struck me that actually one of our cultural rituals is to make 
resolutions at the beginning of the year. <laughs> it's all, so we've ritualized the beginning of rituals or come up with a routine that goes along with yep. it. I, it <laughs> struck me, and you know, a couple of years ago, my brother said, um, he said, I saw a lady who was overweight, clearly not a runner, um, running down the road, um, exercising. And I think she has a very good chance of being successful in her exercise program. And I said, how in the world would you know that just by looking at her? And he said, well, she was doing it on New Year's Eve. And so the point was, is that she didn't wait until January 1st in order to begin the thing, because what she felt she needed to do was significant enough that it didn't need to wait for some kind of culturally described moment in which you begin doing new things. And so I think there's actually a bit of a challenge there for us as, you know, um, well, what about January 5th being a great day to start a new <laughs> resolution or February 28th? Or um, when we know that something is is the right thing to do or we're inspired to do it, then I think that's the time to begin doing it. So we can, um, it's it's good to have, I, I think it's fine to have a culturally structured time in which we think about the modifications and improvements and focus that we want to bring forth in the new year. But on the other hand, we don't want to ritualize and habitualize resolving to do things to the point that we miss out on saying, actually, our, our uh, catechisms and, and habit formation and new resolutions can happen anytime. Um, so that's, that's kind of an exciting thing to, to realize. And it's very obvious it's when you think about it. Freeing but, truth. Yeah. 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 So I guess it's helpful to, yeah. So just some one takeaway here and I, I get going along with what Nathan said. It is as of this recording, it's January 3rd, and so don't look at it as, yep, yeah, well, you're two days late, you've missed the bus. If something new <laughs> and helpful comes to your mind <laughs> to pursue for the year, hey, you don't have to be locked into that. You can, you, can start, you can start a good pursuit, a good ritual, a good resolution at any time, and it is a beautifully freeing thought. And I think that's, that's part of the, the beauty of many of the the christian rituals that are that are at our, our our disposal whether it's it's the lord's prayer or whether it's singing worship in church you are you're you're at actually liberty for many of many of these these features to do them on your own time and you can do them spontaneously you can there's nothing to stop you from breaking into song in your home <laughs> or at certain parts of your day when you or when you just look out and you see something beautiful that moves you but it's also good to have those those structuring elements there as well when that bring you together with other people and then also just pull you out of your own individualistic tendencies so i guess there is a there's a balance here as well but i think the main takeaway it, would be resolutions resolutions can be a very powerful and helpful way to pursue doing the good in your life and to pursue improvement but just recognize that we're not locked into i suppose some of the 
the cultural patterns around us. I think it's very easy to get drawn into that and drawn into those conventions. But I'm sort of meandering here a little bit. But maybe well, so. Let, there's there's one other thing here to to while you're bringing this to a close is to say that it can be really helpful to do some deep evaluation of your routines and rituals because maybe some of them aren't good. Yeah. Um, and maybe you are just doing them because you've always done them or your family's always done it, or that's the way your grandmother did it, which on one hand might not be a good reason to do it. On the other hand, you might be part of communities that do things routinely that are strange to you. And it's worth looking at that closely and saying, okay, why was this habit collectively formed? What does it point to? What does it signify? What does it prevent? And what does it produce uh, as a way of not just quickly dismissing routine and ritual, but saying, actually, there might be something far richer here uh, that I'm missing out on. So I think there's, for me, probing into these types of questions and, and zooming out and zooming back in in that kind of um, seesawing motion adds a lot of, of clarity and, um, and joy, actually, to the things that we do. Because I think ultimately what we're saying here, as we think about this from a Christian perspective, is that our time is sacred. Like, you've, you're here for a reason. You woke up this morning because God has something for you to do with your life. Um, that might be a bit, you know, definitely is probably for all of us, um, far more significant than most of us realize. And so I think adding that significance or adding pointers to that significance into our lives in meaningful ways is something that ultimately isn't just for our optimization, but it's in order to honor God with our lives and with everything that we do. And so when we put it in that framework and phrase, then I think that opens up the vista to see uh, a more expansive beauty, as it were, to the comings and goings and the and the routines of our uh, days. And we can also then, I think, begin to see some significance and beauty, even in the monotonous things, the things that we do repeatedly, because they're indicators of um, a good thing. There was a, a eight-year-old girl this fall in our school who died suddenly during a soccer game. Um, and at the at the funeral at the school for her, her parents said, we would love to have to go home and clean up a messy living room this evening. And so... It's the indication of this thing that I'm doing that might seem monotonous, might seem like, oh, I got to do this again. Oh, I'm cleaning up the chaos in my life caused by somebody else. That thing means something more than just what it is. And so I think that's part of the beauty of the invitation here is to say that the things that we're doing point us to things that are greater, point us to things to be thankful for, point us to things that need to be fixed in our lives and places in which we can be helpful in the lives of other people. So I'm, I, I don't know that, that, that excites me. It doesn't feel heavy to me. It's, it's, um, it's an invitation to being reminded that your life is worth a whole lot more, uh, than you might originally think when your alarm clock goes off in the morning. It's a beautiful way to end things, Nathan, actually, and hope you continue to think about this. Hope we stirred some thoughts. That's really, that's what we're after here. But you've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. And by the way, if you want to see what we're up to, Nathan and I, by the way, are heading out of town here pretty soon. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere. You'll still hear from us. We 
We've got you covered in terms of podcasts, but we will be in, Lord willing, in upstate New York. If you want to, if you want to learn more about where we're going, where we're speaking, or if you're interested in us coming to your neck of neck of the woods, then you can do so by going to our website www.toltogether.com. That's T-O-L together. And if you have been blessed by what we do, if you find it helpful or beneficial, you see value in it, and you want to give to us, you can do that by going to our donate page and clicking donate. Other ways to help us, spread the word. Let people know that you like this podcast. Give us a five-star rating. You want to go an extra mile? Write us a review. Many of you have already done that. Thank you so much. We're just so grateful to be back. But we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book one of our speakers, or make a donation, visit thinkingoutloudtogether.com. And lastly, if you like our podcast, spread the word. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating. It really does help.